Welcome to In 20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. Ride the wave of change. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, skepticism, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. Leia, Tyra, and Perla sit in a VR meeting with over 200 other avatars. Each row of seats is higher than the one before it. Everyone wears their army avatar, so the room is filled with people wearing green camo. The officer on stage gives a slideshow presentation. He speaks at room volume, and everyone can hear him loud and clear, even though most of them sit far from him. He says, As you prepare to leave the service, the Army offers you many programs to help you find a career and own a house. On Leia's left, Tyra leans over and says, Do you think he's that tall or do you think he had his legs lengthened? Perla leans in on Leia's right and says, That's an avatar. Tyra covers her mouth, giggles, and leans back. Leia grins and rolls her eyes. The man on stage says, You have access to Jobs Navigator. An install app icon pops up to Leia's right. He says, install it and use it. You have top tier access and you don't have to pay the subscription fee, so don't uninstall it thinking you'll save money. Jobs Navigator knows all the testing, training, and job opportunities available only to veterans. The army won't let you down, so don't let yourself miss out on this. Leia's eyes light up. She served in the war and now she can pick her way through free training, college classes, special job offers, and even grants to start a business. When Perla sees her wiggle in her seat, Perla smiles knowingly. When the meeting is over, Leia's glasses clear. In RL, she sits in a packed plane of soldiers. She met the passengers on either side of her when the plane took off. The tall seatbacks block her view of the rest of the plane. A constant cold stream of air blows down at her. She pulls what looks like wired earbuds out from under the collar of her jacket and pushes them into her ears. Getting power from the solar fabric on her jacket, the buds recharge her canal links. Now 29 years old, she's spent most of her adult life in the army. Her face has hardened, but she's still prone to jubilant expressions. She identifies as black, though she has white relatives, including her grandmother. In the last year, in anticipation of civilian life, she's grown her hair out to a blunt bob. In the morning, in one of Atlanta's subway malls, Galvante presses something the size of a penny onto a tile wall, and then walks to the opposite wall. He takes out his saxophone, turns his glasses to shades mode, and begins to play. He calls his improvisational style weeping saxophone. Many musicians would dislike the acoustics of the underground passageways, but Galvante has learned to use them to his advantage. The tile walls and floor bounce back hard and hollow layers of his sax that can sound haunting depending on the melody. When the air moves from his right, it's cool from the outside. When it moves from his left, it's warm and carbonous from the tunnels. Crowds pass as he plays. People smile at him, nod approval, and clap. An old femme with a pillbox hat places her palms together and says to him, Lovely. Though he's bony, 
He wears cutoffs and a sleeveless shirt with a multicolor fur-lined hood over his head. He grows his goatee with two small dreads on each side of his chin that hang down like the barbells of a catfish. In Community AR, he's put a virtual hat out. It rests on the floor. Anyone passing can air tap it to tip him. For the first hour, no one does. His spot is so much busier lately, with all the blue t-shirts coming downtown to demonstrate. On their way to the next demonstration, they carry signs down by their sides and chum it up with each other. As he plays, he makes a point to remember his recent breakup, to put the tears into his weeping sacks. A snowflake hitting running mascara, expression of betrayal. He feels it, and his sacks feels it, and it sends out a downplayed wail. Anyone who's had their heart torn from them should recognize the sound. At the end of hour two, the counter in his AR says he got tipped 20 cents. So far, the tripling of crowd numbers doesn't triple his tips, but he doesn't sweat it one bit. In the third hour, the femme who wears short dresses bursting with frills, jeweled tube tops, and shimmery scarves tied to her wrists, dances to his tunes for 20 or so minutes. She also throws an AR hat out. He lets her do it. Why not? She dances with pure passion for dance. A true wild heart. Will he ever attempt to talk to her? If he does, she may bolt, never to be seen again. For the time she dances, the crowd's mood changes. People stop talking when they pass and they stare like they're afraid to look or get too close. Memories are being made. True wild dancer blows him a kiss and leaves the station. At the end of hour three, he has 45 cents in his hat. Hour four is when he can lose the vibe if he doesn't focus. He craves something savory and thinks of the store that sells nut-flavored mushrooms. Chewy like popcorn, pistachio is his favorite. Some real-life professionals come through at this time. People who have jobs go somewhere for lunch. Lots of the remote bots are street-level, but they rarely come down here unless they're going to a business luncheon. But it's still mostly the blue tees walking through. Galvante ignores politics. He does agree that people should get equal opportunity, but he can't get excited about all the other stuff. The blue tees still treat him kindly. They assume he's on their side. And he is, more or less. At the end of hour four, he has 70 cents in his hat. Hour five is the home stretch. He lets his fatigue drive the weep in his baby, his weeping saxophone. A femme, probably 10 years older than him, leans against the opposite wall. She wears a starched white collar shirt tucked into very well-fitting pants, and her knockout bob frames her face to electric effect. The hint of a smile plays on her lips and eyes. A thick crowd of blue tees press on through and after that she's gone. At the end of hour five, he has a dollar ten in his hat, more than he usually ends with. He puts his sacks in the case and dodges others to reach the opposite wall where he winks at the button cam and then pulls it off the wall. He walks deeper into the subway tunnels. At a wall lined with lockers, he opens one, takes out a backpack, and slides his sacks in. In a large public restroom, he changes into pants, takes a long coat out of the pack, and puts it on. He catches a subway car to the nearest neighborhood complex. The car can hold six, but he's the only one who boards. When he gets to his condo, he throws his pack down and says, Assistant, make me a spinach omelet with pistachio mushrooms. His Lutonbot walks out of the kitchen and bows toward him. Assistant says, 
I can order pistachio mushrooms, but you'll have to wait an extra 15 minutes. Or I can leave the pistachio mushroom out. He says, I'll wait. He plops down on his couch. He says, open WeStream. His POV fills with his live stream portal. The five-hour live stream he just came back from making shows as a video that can be replayed. In a section on the right, comments viewers made during the performance can be scrolled through. People made one million and six comments while he played. He glances at a few. Real Fan 3 5752887 says, Miss you, man. We streamed you at my last office and I just talked my new co-workers into streaming you. Keep doing what you do. Poopy pants say, Surfing the blue wave in a bus in Mississippi, this guy is lifting my spirits all the way. Galvante clicks on the wallet icon. The amount of online tips that he received today is $3,279. Better than yesterday. He should eat out tonight for sure. He says, Start dates navigator. His POV changes to an image scroll wheel of Femme's faces. The main picture in front shows a Femme with brown skin accented with bright yellow eyebrows and purple short hair. Assistant says, you have a 76% chance of a date going well with Midnight Ember. He says, is she available tonight? Leia sits on a stool at the kitchen bar in her parents' house. When her parents first retired, they lived in an old one-bedroom apartment. But due to the automation deflation, the prices on everything except water plummeting, they could afford a townhouse in a more walkable part of Atlanta. Her parents sit at the dining table, both wearing sweaters that nearly match. Where's her dad's broad shoulders gone? As her mom watches something on her AR, she smiles grimly. Their Lutenbot makes omelets and biscuits. Leia takes her civvy AR glasses off and turns them to see them at different angles. She says, I'm still getting used to these. They feel delicate. Her army ARs were twice as heavy. On these, encrypted stream cameras look like tiny points of glass at the back ends of the temples and near the hinges. The cameras record constantly, but no one can see the footage unless it's needed in a court or for a crime investigation. She hasn't paid for the ad's free link, so when she puts the glasses back on, an ad for a fighter movie appears on the wall above her mom. She ignores the ads for now. Her army ARs had no advertising, but also had limited internet. Assistant says, Just a reminder, you can ask to see my setting to change me at any time. You can change my voice, change my personality bundle. You can even change my name. I'm always here to help. Would you like me to offer suggestions on what you can ask me depending on where you are and what's happening? Leia air taps no. Her dad moves his head about and looks all over the place obviously engrossed in whatever he's looking at in AR. The Lutonbot brings his plate of food. He makes a wide sweeping motion over his field of view and then focuses on his food. Leia's mom says, How do you like that blouse I got you? Leia looks down at the basic blouse with dots printed on it. It feels like it belongs to someone else and she's just borrowing it. She says, It's nice, mom. I like all the clothes you got me. Her mom says, You can wear the gloves in summer. They gently cool your hands when it's hot. They'll keep you cool. I'm serious. Leia says, I believe you. The bot put a plate in front of her mom and then in front of Leia. 
Her dad says, How are those tests going? Leia says, I keep putting them off. I'll do them. She shoves a fork full of steamy eggs into her mouth. Her mom says, Have your friends found jobs? Leia says, Well, Perla says she's going to take Nuplus to get a high-paying job. Tyra is pregnant, so... Her mom says, Pregnant? Who's the father? Leia says, She didn't say. Her father says, Are you going to the demonstration with us? Leia says, Sure. He says, Goddamn President Smith, she wants to drive us into the Middle Ages. Her mom says, Honey. Her father says, Do I exaggerate? Do I exaggerate? Did you know she always hangs out with that prophet character? Leia raises her brows. Her mom says, Honey, say Leia, did you know we can purchase premium skills for our Luton bots? Leia shakes her head smiling. Her mom leans forward with arched eyebrows and says, Massage. She drapes her well-manicured nails on one hand over her other hand. Maintaining eye contact with Leia, she leans back, nodding. Leia says, The bot gives you massages? Her mom says, The best. She walks behind her parents amidst the crowd downtown. Her parents look smaller, and they take measured steps. All three wear bullet-resistant jackets. Leia wears a veteran cap. Her father carries a sign that says, Republican for Secular Rights. A refreshing chill cools Leia. The sun casts a warm golden glow. Trees that line the sidewalks show a blend of reds with green. Drone blimps the size of motorcycles hover above. They belong to the police and they come equipped with AIs that specialize in locating mass shooters. Lots of police bots also patrol the streets. Mass shooters are the one category of Hume that police bots will fire at. Ahead, a voice over a bullhorn booms, but Leia can't make out the words. People brush against each other as they all move in the same direction. The crowd's mood is hopeful. It feels a little weird knowing liberals and conservatives are coming together like this. Some of these people look at her veteran cap with mixed expressions. But Leia likes Bobkins, the Democratic candidate, and not just because his father is the Black All-Star. A sign ahead says, Republicans reject Smith. Vote for Bobkins. Another sign says, America is not a cult. A message bubble appears in her upper right. It has the army emblem on it. She looks at it and double blinks. A half-transparent screen opens showing a message as assistant says, Good news, you're eligible for a job that few people can apply for. The crowd she walks in the midst of pours out onto a large intersection that's been closed to vehicles. Her parents hold hands. Fortunately, those close to them give them space. At the last demonstration, Leia attended years ago. Two opposing parties clashed. People yelled and shots were fired. But this march feels peaceful. Either the opposition is small, or they didn't come at all. She says, what is it? Assistant says, a space mining company is looking for technicians willing to live and work in space. She stops. The person behind her bumps into her, excuses himself, and walks around. Her parents continue walking, getting further from her. On either side, people pass her so that it looks like she's floating backward. Leia sits in a lounge chair in her parents' backyard, walled garden. 
The late afternoon sunlight reflects off a wall and warms her. Her mom calls to her. Honey, someone's here to talk with you. Leia's glasses clear as she looks over and says, Who is it? Her mom stands in the doorway and a man wearing a cheap suit stands behind her. Who could that be? Leia swings her legs off the chair and sits up. The man walks over and stands looking down at her. He stands like a boxer, arms out and his head pulled back. He gestures and his ID appears in her AR. Agent Middlebrook, FBI. He says, I'd like to ask you some questions. His skin is rough and he winces as he draws a deep breath. She says, okay. He says, do you know Tessa Page? She blinks at him as she tries to think. Does he know that in the army she interacted with countless people? She says, I don't think so. He watches her. He says, you were stationed in Boston, weren't you? She says, yes, for a few months. We cleared a lot of bodies out of the buildings. He says, did you become close to anyone during that time? She says, I did hang out with many people. She pauses as she remembers faces, long work days, and late night drinking games. He says, do you know what Medusa is? She jerks her head back, shakes it, and says, it has to do with the dark web, right? Is that what you're talking about? He says, do you use Medusa? He shifts, restrained by tightness on the left side of his torso. She says, I mean, one time someone told me I was using it. He says, you have it? She says, I don't think so. He handed me a foldable. Then he told me I was using Medusa. He says, do you have it installed now? She says, I don't think so. I just got a new canal link. I'm still learning my way around it. He says, may I have a look? She starts to reach for her glasses. What does he mean? Does he want to look at her history? She says, I guess. Is this because I'm going to space? His eyes widen for a millisecond and he says, You're going to space? She nods. He regards her differently. He gestures again and an official looking icon appears in her upper right. He says, If you click that icon, you allow me to audit your link. She's only had this link for days. It couldn't be more squeaky clean. She taps the icon. An upload box appears and disappears. He straightens, reminding her how he looks down at her. He says, Are you in contact with anyone you associated with in Boston? Again, she tries to recall. So many faces. The days were all the same, but after work was a blur of new friends every night. She hesitantly shakes her head and says, I don't think so. Last year, someone told me they remembered me from Boston, and I told them I didn't remember. I don't have a bad memory. It's just that I met so many people during that time. He says, Who was the person who remembered you? A short laugh escapes her lips and she says, You probably think I'm dumb, but I don't know their name. They may have never told me. I could name for you people I do know well. He says, Was the person male or femme? She says, Male. He watches her for many seconds. She finds herself locking eyes with him the whole time. With disappointment, he turns and says, Well, thanks for your time. Congratulations on your trip to space. I always wanted to go. She smiles and furrows her brow at his switch to personal talk as he walks to the open door and goes inside, leaving her in the garden. 
That night, as she stands with her friend in a dog park, she remembers the Tessa who she worked with in Boston. Tessa was the short climate core chick. At the time, Leia figured Tessa kept to herself because she was an introvert. But was it just introversion? Tessa did act jumpy and nervous when they worked locating bodies. On more than one occasion, Leia walked in on Tessa looking at a foldable, presumably one that belonged to the deceased. Leia thought Tessa had a nerdy curiosity about foldables, but the pieces come together to make a different picture now. Medusa. Darknet. Dead people's foldables. Should Leia contact the detective? She says, Assistant. Assistant says, Yes? Can I help you with something? A lump hardens in Leia's chest. Everyone knows journalists have been arrested. What if Tessa is a reporter and the FBI wants to arrest her? In that case, there's no way Leia will contact him. She says, never mind. The Research and Manufacturing Space Station, a vast interconnected network of modular structures, follows the same orbit as Earth. Enormous superconductive solar arrays extend from the core modules. Infrared radiators, pipes, antennae, dishes, and sensors crowd the outside of the 78 modules. Positioned to best serve ships from Earth, the station flies sideways in its orbit. Taking advantage of near-zero gravity, near-zero temperature and shadow, near-absolute vacuum, and a continual blast of sunlight, it hosts some of the latest developments in tech. Countries, space agencies, and private enterprises collaborate on making products that can't be made on Earth. Opportunities for businesses and individuals interested in space-related activities foster the growth of the space economy. The newly rich, the 5% with high-paying jobs, are itching to spend their fortunes on adventures in space. Existing space enterprises feel the demand as the station builds new space hotels, because organ transplants are 3D printed in zero-G at this station, pig-grown hume organs on Earth have gone out of business. Made from cells taken from the recipients, 3D printed organs are accepted by the bodies they get put in. No need to take immunosuppressants. Superconductivity is used in quantum computers, antimatter chambers, and the ship-wide field generator that protects its inhabitants from harmful rays. Ships come and go from the transportation hub, which includes docking ports, refueling stations, and repair stations. Fuel is made here with power from the solar panels. Minerals mined from asteroids come here for processing. Some materials can only be made here. Floating microbes build heat shields and bore tips that can withstand extreme heat. Carbon nanotube cords grow out of liquids. Azaline membranes made here double solar efficiency. One research group develops quantum engines for deep space travel. The engines run in very low temp. Like batteries that never run out, they'll power ships far from sunlight. The station hosts a space hotel, a hospital, and a daycare. Lagging behind the station but seeming to float above it in relation to the Earth, the microprobe's launcher is being built. When people first see it, many ask, is that a particle accelerator? A kilometer from the station, the new solar power station for Earth is under construction. When Leia's alarm goes off, she knows her first attempt at sleeping in space has failed miserably. It isn't just the cocktail of meds that maintains her bone and muscle density. 
but also makes her legs and arms ache. Weightlessness messes with her head. Being weightless looked fun when she watched Talk Talk videos of people dancing in space, but the fluid in her inner ears moves unpredictably in zero-g. So one minute she feels like she's falling up, and the next minute she feels like she's tumbling backward. She unstraps herself as a machine makes the station shudder for a few seconds. Her pod is long and big enough to fit one person comfortably. She opens the lid, using her feet, and pushes herself out, going feet first. In the corridor, other recruits float out of small pod doorways. When one guy sees the four vomit bags Leia brings with her, he looks away. The corridor tube is filled with personal belongings strapped to the walls and sleeping pod doors. Leia blinks at the bright light that shines from all directions. The tube has no up or down. Her brain tells her it's spinning even though she holds to a wall handle and it appears motionless. A femme wearing a hijab bumps into her and says, You'll want to take a vac shower. She touches her face. Leia nods. The crusted vomit on her face can't be ignored. The femme says, Don't worry, you're not alone. Being in space is all about being some kind of sick. A recorded male voice over the intercom says, Attention, habitat module occupants. In preparation for scheduled disinfection procedures, all personnel are required to evacuate the habitat module within the next 30 minutes. Please secure personal belongings and proceed to the designated assembly area. Leia twists when she feels a tug. The femme has hold of one of the barf bags. She says, I'll show you where you can dispose of these. Leia lets her take the bag and says, Are they going to gas this module? The femme says, Something like that. They use phages. Then they pump out the air and replace it with air populated with plant-seeking microbes. It smells like a forest. Due to her disorientation, Leia's eyes wander. People who have hair look like they haven't showered. She isn't the only one holding barf bags. After she vac showers, she follows AR arrows. She passes through a module where people move in VR. Each person wears a belt at the end of a pole that holds them in the same spot while they move freely. Some wear headsets while others wear AR glasses. One guy moves like he's fixing a machine. Another lifts phantom objects and stacks them. People in the corridor grab handles on moving belts that pull them through the tubes. Leia grabs a handle and presses her lips together tight. In the mess hall, she makes eye contact with those who face her. She grabs a meal box at a window. Lots of the femmes have really short hair. She wants to get her hair cut like that. It looks a lot better than crazy camper hair. She has trouble staying in a sitting posture near one of the tables when she notices others slip their shoes into pockets on the floor. Once she finds a couple of the pockets and secures her feet in them, she can use her legs to stay at a table. Her food tray magnetizes to the table when she places it there. Under her meal box lid, she finds a juice container with a plastic bag glued to the side. She says, Assistant, what is this? Assistant says, the bag contains a capsule. Swallow the capsule before drinking the liquid. The capsule contains probiotics that work with the beverage. She says, What's it for? Assistant says, Those microbes are preparing you for your period of stasis when you travel to the belt. Her face hardens, so she flexes parts of her body to relax. Making small talk with those who sit nearest to her, she's starting to know the faces of her new teammates. She tries eating, but her stomach doesn't want it. 
So she pushes the box through the busser window and floats to the nearest storage alcove to rest. In orientation, the seats would be uncomfortably small in gravity. They have belts and no backrests. She straps in and waits. The guy next to her pulls at his handlebar mustache. He smiles at her and says, I've waited all my life for this. She says, it's exciting. He says, you got the spins? She swallows and nods. Her face feels cool. Every time she moves her head, it feels like the environment moves in the opposite direction. He looks ahead as more people float in. He says, do you plan to work here for a few years, then go back to Earth? She says, oh, for sure. I'm just here to get rich and retire young. He says, I'm not going back. This is the life for me. They watch a video about how they'll ship out to the belt to build a mining operation. Mustache Guy says, I don't understand why robots can't do all that. I fell off a bike last summer and broke out three teeth. A robot replaced them. He smiles so she can see his new teeth. She smiles back but swallows and holds her stomach. The next video explains the voyage. It'll take a little under a year in which time everyone will be put into a deep sleep. A panic comes on and she mentally terminates it as she learned to do in the war. Others in the room shift around uneasily. Almost a year asleep, that's a lot to sign up for. Everyone here already knew this was part of the job, but they still squirm. During a 20-minute break, she says, Assistant, how can I get a haircut? Assistant says, I can direct you to the robo-solon. You have time. Would you like to go now? She says, sure. On the way, she chooses a hairstyle from a picture menu. In a module more cluttered and modified than the others, Assistant asks her to lean forward and hold onto two handles. A robot arm folds out and simultaneously clips and vacuums her hair. She watches herself in a mirror that's mounted below the robot arm as her hairstyle changes. Afterward, Assistant says, You're scheduled to see a doctor. You still have ten minutes left to your break. She says, Show me to the doctor now. Blue arrows appear down the tube. In the doctor's alcove, she sits buckled to a wall-mounted seat the size of a salad plate as the doctor examines her. She says, What are you testing me for? I went to a doctor on Earth. Looking down, he says, On Earth, you were tested for things like Nuplus usage. I'm putting together your medication plan. I need to find out how you've reacted to the medication we've given you so far. Everyone reacts differently to the treatments. His lips don't sync with his words. So Leia knows he speaks a different language, Indian by the sound of his accent. How long has it been since Leia has heard another language? Link translates, reproducing the speaker's voice but converting the words to English. If she wanted to revisit what other languages sound like, she'd have to disable auto-translate in her canal link. She says, So, no Nuplus in space? He says, Oh, not at all. In space, reckless insanity is frowned upon. She says, But Nuplus makes people rich. He shakes his head and says, I'd rather live longer, personally. She says, I like your style, Doc. He glances at her with a confused expression and says, Well, so your space adaptation syndrome is as bad as it gets. Without gravity, fluid in the inner ear moves slower, and it doesn't settle in the same way. This causes confusion and disorientation, as your brain receives conflicting signals. She says, 
Yes, I have been receiving conflicting signals. He says, For sure. But you're eligible for a new procedure. The procedure involves biobots growing protein transistors next to the nerves in your inner ear regions. She says, Biobots? Aren't those engineered microbes? He says, Essentially. She clasps her hands and looks at the top of the alcove. He says, Biobots can grow radio frequency transistors that nestle against nerves. With machine learning, we can train the transistor cloud to stimulate nerves and send your brain orientation information that won't cause it space sickness. She says, I don't know, Doc. He says, The procedure will give you VR gravity. Do you ever feel motion sick in VR? She smirks and says, Of course. He says, haven't you ever wanted to feel gravity that matches your virtual experiences? She says, How do you get the biobots to my inner ears? He says, We used needles. We also need to put you to sleep for 48 hours to prevent the biobots from traveling off site. You're very lucky to have the chance to receive this treatment. It'd cost you millions if you paid for it yourself. She says, People pay for it? He says, Yes, of course, it's VR gravity. She says, I've heard of implants being rejected by the body. Is there a chance? He says, The last time any kind of implant was rejected by the body was years ago. Your body won't notice the transistor cloud at all. She rubs two fingers together where they were sore for weeks after getting VR dots implanted. Each wake cycle, she trains in VR simulation where she controls a robot assembling facilities in space. They give her a drug for space sickness that makes her brain foggy and her mouth dry. The drug is an old-school chemical compound. She still retches sometimes if she moves around too much. Though daily emails remind people not to talk politics on the station, she can feel the fever in the air. Everyone waits for election night with excitement and dread. During a meal break, she searches for non-propaganda news. VIX News is the only news distributor from the U.S., but it leaves out black current affairs and climate news. Fortunately, Pirate U.S. News, hosted in other countries, brings the news about what affects her life. She watches footage of giant crowds in Phoenix, San Jose, Portland, Reno, Chicago, Houston, Philadelphia, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Columbus, Indianapolis, Charlotte, and Denver. Gloved hands hoist signs. Fire the Supreme Court. Restore democracy. The Cokes don't own us. She checks a website where verified Canal Link users can pre-vote. In large Helvetica, it shows that 82% will vote Democrat. Being in space, she gets her encrypted ballot early. It shows up in her AR. She votes Democrat, allows an iris scan, and sends it off. They give her the morning off before her procedure. She plays poker with three others in the crowded mess hall. A notice pops up in her AR. She clicks on it and sees a long email about needing to recast her ballot. Others in the mess hall receive the message at the same time. A guy in her group says, Pause the game. I need to read this. A femme practically shouts, What is this? A guy free-floating says, Have you seen the new ballot? There's no Democratic candidates on it. Leia says, Assistant, what's happening? Assistant says, This morning, the Supreme Court ruled that no party that has ever advocated for slavery can file for elections. 
Afem says, My registration reads, Not affiliated. Assistant says, The Democratic Party advocated for slavery 200 years ago. It therefore has been eliminated from the election. Leia pounds the table with her fist. She says, But election night is tomorrow. Assistant says, Some Democrats are attempting to form a new party and refile. Another notice appears. Leia clicks on it and it's the ballot. Minus candidate Bobkins. This is so wrong, so terribly, terribly wrong. People argue and swear. Leia feels she must do something, but she doesn't know what to do. Assistant says, Leia, you should go to your doctor's appointment now. As she stretches out on the bed and allows the doctor to strap her to it, her face flinches. Her mind races. Scotus just swung a metal pipe at the shin bones of democracy. People aren't going to stand for this. The doctor, who seems exceptionally calm, says, One moment. He pulls her glasses off and says, Everyone reacts to medical procedures differently. Nothing to worry about. The sound of his voice is distant noise. What if they go lenient with white supremacists, encouraging more attacks on non-whites? What if they decide America should be white only? She says, It's not right. It's not right. He says, I'll just strap the anesthetic bot to your arm here. It'll give you a little pinch so it can sample your blood. A stolen election. President Smith already talks about extending how long presidents can rule. Yes, that was the word she used. How long presidents can rule. Her brow furrows and she makes fists. He says, The anesthetic bot just injected you. Count back from ten. There must be a war. It will take... Her thoughts go out and she's nothing. Nowhere. When she comes to, she's in a long tube strapped to a thin bed and a row of other people strapped to beds. She tries to push away from the bed and manages to twist her head and look around. She calls out, What happened? What happened with the election? Hopefully it was all just a bad dream. The others don't move. They must still be out. No one answers her. Assistant says, You've woken. I'll notify the doctor. If not for the agitated dread mixed with the need to know, Leia would feel fine. She tries to pull her hands out of the straps. They won't let her out. They won't let her undo herself. The doctor's face appears at the end of the tube. He floats toward her. She says, Doc, what happened with the election? He looks positively gray. The life has left his eyes and his mouth hangs open. He floats over her and undoes her straps one by one with shaky hands. She says, Please tell me, what happened with the election? He mumbles. She says, What? What did you say? He says, The Libertarians won. Jackson, the Libertarian candidate, will be president. Was Jackson even on the ballot? The Libertarian Party was only getting 2% in the pre-voting. She says, But Smith is out? He nods. She says, What's that even mean? A libertarian president. Thank you for listening. Please take the time to rate, 
review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is in 20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.